This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Listen, if we can pull this off, this day will go down in history for me. March 23rd. Uh, no. Your historic day is not the 23rd, it's the 24th. Why do you mean the 24th? It's 2.30 already. It's morning. Yes, and what a lovely morning. Good morning. Good morning. We've talked the whole night through. Good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to stay up late. Good morning. Good morning to you. When the band began to play, the stars were shining bright. Now the milkman's on his way, it's too late to say goodnight. So good morning, good morning, sunbeams will soon shine through. Good morning, good morning to you. And you, and you, and you, good morning, good morning. We can all night through. Good morning, good morning to you. Nothing could be grander than to be a Louisiana. In the morning, in the morning, it's great to stay up late to good morning. When we left the movie show, the future wasn't bright. But came the dawn, the show goes on, and I don't want to say goodnight. Well, say good morning. Good morning. Rainbows are shining through. Good morning. Good morning. Bonjour.
you specialise it, can't you? What a finish. What? I say that about a lot of the music that we play on this show, but uh, what a finish. I sing that jammer quite a lot. To Do you? Kate. Yeah. <laughs> good morning. Good, good morning. morning. She hates it. Kia ora, Tefano. This is Backstage with Mel and Mike. And that was Good Morning from our Musical of the Week this week, which is Singing in the Rain. And it just comes from the 2012 London cast recording. It's got quite a checkered history in terms of the number of different productions that have been on. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell more about that when the time comes. Which won't be far away. No. Uh, The last time you enjoyed it, we brought you the somewhat interesting Sound Mm -hmm. of Starlight Express. Mm -hmm. And we also, I say somewhat because it was a little underwhelming. Neither of us really liked it. Yeah. Uh, we also talked portraying LGBTQ characters on stage. And if you missed out, please catch up on all of your favourite podcast streaming apps. Whatever you normally get your podcasts through, you'll find us if you look for us backstage with Mel and Mike. Geezer's open on the weekend, man. Yeah, congratulations, yeah. buddy. Had a good response so far, which that was is really cool. Night. I th- and I think, well, it went really well. I think people understood the play mm-hmm. and they uh, latched into the complexities of the way that it's told and everything um, rather neatly and I've had some terrific feedback in terms of um, the ensemble nature of the cast mm. and the fact that everybody's done such a great job. Um, I- I'm really happy with it. Yeah, there was a really cool review the other day Yeah, uh, from, ooh, from Kate. Kate Prestige, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's not one to sort of beat around the bush if she doesn't like something. Well, I, I appreciated that too because I, I knew that when Kate came to see it that she would give a really honest reaction mm. and she has yeah. uh, but I've also had a couple of uh, really nice emails from people that have come to see it and uh, others that have posted stuff on Facebook uh, giving their reactions and you know from a director's point of view I walk away from this one thinking well you know we've got a, a really good um, finish out of it we've got a good product I think that's how you know a show is really good yeah. or that you're really good or have done something really good is when people take the time out to send you a little message I think so yeah because I don't do that <laughs> I mean, that's not to say I don't think people are good, but I don't bother. I mean, you would, if you see somebody after they've been in something, say, oh, I did catch that, yeah, and it was great. Yeah. But to actually take the time at the moment to think, I'm so moved by this, I'm going to write a special message to somebody. Um, right now. I always very much appreciate that. Yeah, that's right. Because it's it's often heartfelt and, um, you know, very very well thought out. Well, I, for one, am glad that you didn't have to miss my wedding because of opening night. Yeah, <laughs> which, which would have been the case back in Which was going to be the case. So, so there's a bright side to everything. So Mike made it to my wedding and we've got <laughs> geezers on stage. I'm really pleased that we are able to launch into our season now without any you know, touch wood, <laughs> um, without too many you know hiccups and along the way. We, we well, had all several, had COVID now, haven't had they? Several, well, I don't know. Um, been around it anyway. Uh, we had several rehearsals leading right up to about the week before we opened where I never had, you know, the full number of people I should have had in a rehearsal. Right. Because there was always somebody away for some reason. Sure. And it was really only in that last week, production week, tech week, whatever you call it, yeah. that things started to come together. And I have to say, the the crew, many willing hands came in to, to make the set work and mm. to finish it off and everything. And in that last week, we pulled everything together. It you always great. do, eh? Yeah, you do, and you put in some long hours for it, but yeah. when you stand back and look at it afterwards, if you can say hand on heart, this is the best that it could possibly be, then you've done a good job. You've done all you could I have really done. really appreciate everybody's efforts that's gone into uh, making it happen. Now what we just need is some bottoms on seats. Is it selling well? Uh, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> Honestly, I wouldn't know right at the moment. I suspect, um, as word of mouth is getting out there, that more and more people are going to be saying, yeah, I want to go and see that. Well, and there's plenty of, of well-loved members of the community in, in it, so I, I'm, I would l- like to think there'll be plenty of bums on seats. Yeah, I think so. Anyway. 
Later on in the programme, we will uh, dish more information, or I will certainly dish more information on uh, Singing in the Rain, the stage show, not the musical film, but the stage show based on the film. Was it the film first? Yeah, it was the film first, right? It was the film first, yeah. Well, we'll talk all about that in a little while. And Mike wants to talk superstitions. Yeah. Why not? Well, there's some hoary old ones that still sort of hang around, uh, even after decades and hundreds of years, actually. Did we still and tell I'll, each other to break a leg? I just be- Well, that's one of them. Yeah, I, right. I'm just picking up, uh, you know, about, f- I think I've got about four here that I just want to discuss in a little more depth. There's often a practical reason behind these things. I think they start out as something entirely different to what they are now. Yeah. Anyway, so don't go anywhere. We'll be back shortly with all the information you didn't think you needed to know about our musical of the week. So remember, short people have long faces, long people have short faces, big people have little humour, and little people have no humour at all. And in the words of that immortal bard, Samuel J. Snodgrass, as he was about to be led to the guillotine. Make him laugh, make him laugh. Don't you know everyone wants to laugh? My dad said, be an actor, my son. But be a comical one, they'll be standing in lines for those old hunky tonk monkey shines. Be quite elite And you could charm the critics And have nothing to eat Just slip on up and peel the world at your feet Make them laugh, make them laugh, make them laugh Make them laugh, make them laugh, make em laugh. Don't you know everyone wants to laugh My grandpa said go up and tell them a joke But if it's plenty of hope Make them roar, make them scream Take a full bottle walls with a seat you start off by pretending you're a dancer with grace. You wiggle till they're giggling all over the place. And then you get a great big custard pie in the face. Make them laugh, make them laugh, make them laugh. Showstopper, yeah. Make him laugh, which yeah. we try to do often. 
Oh, we make ourselves chuckle. Let's make no, him laugh <laughs> from Musical of the Week, Singing in the Rain, and we make each other laugh often. Yeah. You're with Mel and Mike backstage on Hamilton's Free FM. Did you know, and you probably didn't, that Singing in the Rain was one of the very first movie musicals I ever watched, ever? Interesting you should say that, because I, I think I've divulged before that in my childhood, which was way long ago... The old LPs. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I listened to all the LPs. No, Singing in the Rain was not one that we had. Oh. Um, because most of our LPs that mum and dad had were uh, of stage shows. Right. Right, original cast recordings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Going around the table. <laughs> the originals. But TV, yeah. Uh, yeah. We used to go, we didn't have a TV when I was nine, ten years old. Was, yeah, I was probably about nine, ten when we got one. But prior to that, we used to, I used to go to the neighbours. On sure. a Sunday afternoon, we'd sit in this darkened room so that we could all see this little, you know, 15-inch TV. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Black and white TV. Uh, I can't remember. It was NZBC days, one channel. It was all we had in this country. And on the Sunday afternoons, I always had old movies. Yeah. 99 times out of 100, they were musicals. Singing in the Rain, one of the very that first original ones. original one with... Um, Donald O'Connor, uh, Gene Kelly. Gene Kelly, yeah. And uh, I've only ever seen it in colour. Have you? Yeah, yeah I've never seen it in white version. That's the generational difference between you and me. Hmm. <laughs> um, but that scene with Donald O'Connor where he does the, that song, mm. Make Him Laugh, and he does these things where he's pulling faces to, you know, right up in front of the camera, and he does this uh, dance step where he runs up a wall and does a backflip. Yes. I just, I was sat on the floor watching that absolutely mesmerised and thought, how the hell does this defy gravity if like that? If anybody wondered why Mike so went to drama school. Yeah. That's well, a, that's no, why. It, it was ingrained. But that, like you, one of the first musical films I ever saw, and Gene Kelly, man, what a what a star. Oh, those feet. Yeah, and just his grace. Yeah. He had such fluid movement, him and Gene Kelly, uh, him and uh, Fred Astaire, mm. two of the most amazing male dancers I've ever seen on screen, and I would watch them till the cows come home. There's another one, uh, is it American in Paris? that Gene that Kelly t- did where he does his uh, extended sort of jazz dance dream sequence. I'm digressing here. but That's um, a musical. We should do it. It's a stage musical too. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay, well, you, that's your choice sometime. Um, but when you see guys like that performing on, on old in old movies where they just did these amazing dance moves, often done in one panning take you mm. know, on a big sound stage, you realise just how skillful they were. Anywho... We're talking about singing in the rain. Yes, I won't go into um, the guy who couldn't dance in West Side Story. Stop me now. Go. (laughs) I won't stop you now. (laughs) (laughs) All right, singing in the rain, a musical of the week. It's a stage musical with story by Betty Comden and Adolf Green. Interesting name. Mm. Lyrics by Arthur Freed and music by Nacio Herb Brown. It was adapted, of course, from the 1952 movie of the same name. The plot very closely adheres to the original. As you would, you'd want to pay homage to the original it's a film. classic. Set in Hollywood in the waning days of, of the silent screen era, it focuses on a romantic lead, Don Lockwood, his sidekick, Cosmo Brown, and aspiring actress, Cathy uh, Selden, and Lockwood's leading lady, Lena Lamont, whose less than dulcet vocal tones make her an unlikely candidate for stardom in talking pictures. <laughs> the show had its world premiere in 1983 at the London Palladium, where it ran for more than two years, and has spawned a Broadway production of many, many stagings worldwide. We'll get to all of that shortly. I'll go through the synopsis because it's only a couple of paragraphs. Yeah, you it's bring, a very, very remind basic us. story. 
Okay. Don Lockwood is a silent film star with very humble roots as a musician, dancer and stuntman. Don barely tolerates his vapid leading lady, Lena Lamont, who is convinced that her that their screen romance is real. So she's doting on him. He doesn't really want to know. Uh-huh. Although Don tries to tell her otherwise, it just, you know, one of those awkward situations. After the first talking picture, the jazz singer proved to be such a big smash hit uh, around the country. The head of the studio, R.F. Simpson, decides he has no choice but to convert the new Lockwood and Lamont film called The Dueling Cavalier into a talkie. Uh, The production is beset with difficulties, by far the worst being Lena's grating voice. After a disastrous test screening, Don's best friend Cosmo Brown comes up with the idea to overdub Lena's voice and they then convince Simpson to turn the dueling cavalier into the dancing cavalier and make it a musical comedy film. Because when you've got you know, stars like Gene Kelly involved, of course you do that. Yeah, you've got to dance. Meanwhile, Don falls in love with an inspiring actress by the name of Kathy Selden who is providing the voice for Lena on the soundtrack. When Lena finds out, she's furious and does everything possible to sabotage that blossoming romance. She maliciously demands that Kathy continue to provide her voice in all future films that she's in, but remain uncredited. An irate but desperate and hamstrung Simpson, the boss of the studios, is forced to agree, and Kathy has no choice at all because she's under contract and just has to do what she has to do. Uh. The premiere of the uh, the, yeah, the what the dancing. the dancing Cavalier is a tremendous success and when the audience clamours for Lena to sing live at the premiere, Don and Cosmo improvise and get Lena to lip sync while Kathy sings into an, a second microphone on stage which isn't live and behind the curtain, just behind her Kathy's doing her thing unbeknownst to Lena though, as she starts singing in quotation marks, Don, Cosmo and Simpson very gleefully raise the curtain behind her revealing the deception with Kathy. Cool. Okay, great. Finally getting the spoilt. Yeah. She becomes a star, Lena's finished, boom, end of story, blossoming romance becomes a full romance and everybody walks away happy. So which one is the one that does all the dancing with the two guys? Is that is that Kathy or Lena? It's Lena's the the she's well uh, does she actually dance on this? I'm not sure she did. Yeah, there's a scene, there's a very famous singing in the rain scene where it's the two guys and her in the middle and one of them's wearing a raincoat and is that Le- the character Lena or is that Kathy? Yeah, don't know. And she's got the red hair. Yeah, don't know. Could be Kathy. Oh, it sounds like because I think be that's Kathy. a street scene when they were when the three of them were together. Okay, yeah. yeah. It sounds yeah. like it so would be Kathy. It was not anything involving uh, the Lena character being on film was Lena. So Kathy was never a, a visual double. So mm. yeah, that would have been a street scene involving the the three protagonists. Cool. Okay. Um, so the. Productions for the stage. Um, highlight of both productions. Or actually, I'll come to that a bit later because originally it was staged just as a stage show. But we actually have rain on stage in some of the later versions. Which oh yeah, what a surprise! One of the reasons why I thought I should talk about it today. Yeah. Anywho, uh, the original West End production was directed by Tommy Steele. He was a big name in um, UK. I don't know him. Musical theatre. I don't know. And and he was in the many movies as too. Um, half a six months? Uh, no, all right. Blank look on my you face, look guys. Him up. Tommy Steele. With Tommy an e. Steele. Steele with an E. At the end. <laughs> uh, he he directed it, starred in it, and Peter Gennaro was the choreographer. It opened on June the 30th at the Palladium in uh, June 30th, 1983, where it ran until September of uh, 1985. So a good two-year plus. Mm. 
The original cast included Steele. Roy Castle is another big name in UK musical theatre. Played Cosmo. Mills raising her eyebrows now. I'm trying to dig into the recesses of my memory, but... Danielle Carson played Kathy and Sarah Payne played Lena and Julia. The original film's vocal score was embellished with additional tunes by Comden Green and Roger Edens, Dorothy Fields and Jimmy McHugh, George and Ira Gershwin, Johnny Mercer and Richard Whiting and Cole Porter. So they really sort of harvested what they could from all sorts of places. Mm. Singing in the Rain opened on Broadway at the Gershwin Theatre um, following the closure of, or just, just before the closure of the Palladium version, in 1985, and it closed May of 1986 after 367 performances there and 38 previews. That one was directed by and choreographed by Twilla Tharp. The cast included uh, Don Correa as Don, Mary Darcy as Kathy, Peter Slutsker as Cosmo, and Faye Grant as Lena. The musical was uh, dramatically revamped for the Broadway version. After touring the UK, Singing in the Rain returned to the London Palladium from June the 29th to November the 18th of 1989. Don Correa, who was the Broadway version, came across to star in that one. And Danielle Carson was back as Kathy, and Sarah Payne reprised her role as Lena. Originally planned for a 13-week run, the performances were extended due to popular demand. Then the 1983 uh, London Palladium version of the production was remounted in 1994 for an extensive tour of the UK, which ran until December the next year. And the new production, again directed by Steele, uh, this time starred Paul Nicholas. You would have heard of his name, maybe, mm-hmm. in UK theatre? No. He played Don. Shona Lindsay as Kathy, Tony, Ho- Tony Howes as Cosmo and Sarah Payne, once again coming back as Lena. Oh. Uh, Did new she produ- not age? Apparently not. <laughs> A new production of the musical was staged in the Olivier Theatre, uh, the Royal National Theatre, from June to July of 2000 and again from December 2000 to January 2001. This production was a transfer from the West Yorkshire production, which ran December 1999 to February 2000. It then played at Sadler Wells Theatre from July to September of 2004. The show later transferred to Leicester Haymarket. And Singing in the Rain was uh, revived at the 2011 Chichester Festival Theatre. That show received positive reviews and then transferred to London's West End at the Palace in February of 2012. That production closed in June of 2013 and the cast recording of Singing in the Rain was issued that year in 2012. That's the one we're listening to today. Mm. A UK tour followed the show closing on the West End starting in November of 2013 at the Manchester Opera House. Then uh, the Théâtre du Châtelet in Paris presented a new production from March to the 12th to the 26th in 2015, and again from November to January in 2016, same production. This production faithfully reproduced the dialogue and action of the film with its songs by Nazio Herb Brown and Arthur Freed and its famous Splash in the Puddles rain-drenched dance solo for Don Lockwood. So mm. this is where... We had rain on stage for the first time. Really difficult to achieve, as you can probably imagine. Especially in the middle of a show when you've got to clean it up afterwards. To have water on stage at any time is is tricky. Mm. But wow, a bold concept. Um, So that um, New York... The New York Times, sorry, reported in November 2015 that that uh, French production would transfer to Broadway in 2016, produced by Weinstein Live Entertainment. 
But the musical's opening on Broadway was reportedly delayed in 2016 due to, quote, a lack of available theatres at that time. Mm. In October of 2017, Playbill then reported that the production had informed the magazine or the producers, the Théâtre du Châtelet, had informed um, Playbill that a Broadway transfer produced by Weinstein Live Entertainment would, in fact, now not take place. Ah. The 2012 London production was revived at the Sadler's Wells Theatre from July to September of 2021. And following the Sadler's Wells run, another UK tour began on March 17th of just this year at the Molo Theatre in Canterbury. That production was uh, a carryover from 2020 due to the COVID pandemic. The highlight of both productions was the recreation of that film's title tune sequence complete with uh, an on-stage rain shower. According to the New York Times review, it said, The rain is wonderful. It descends from the flies of the Gershwin Theatre in sheets at the end of Act One, drenching a Santo Locasto courtyard uh, set that floats beneath a distant, twinkling Hollywoodland sign. Magic. That's yeah. why it. That's why it's at the end of the Act One, so they've yeah. got time to so clean got time up. To clean that. Yeah, uh, but of the London rain effect, one reviewer wrote, "The stage downpour is so noisy and poses such a danger of microphone short circuits that Tommy Steele has to mime his song to a recording." <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a grumpy stodge. <laughs> sounds like someone in London with had a bit. You know, <laughs> I've had enough of rain. But that, that highlight um, of the rain is, um, is you know, something that sticks in people's minds. That I seen almost it feel like you can't do production. singing in the rain without it. Why would you even try? I mean, you can't do that dance sequence without having splash, splash, splash. It was a nominated for a smattering of Tonys and Olivier's and a couple of other awards over the years with the various productions that have been on, but it's only ever won one. Oh. And that was an Olivia in 2001 for Best Musical Revival. So all of the performances and everything really sort of counted for nothing. Yeah. And there that's we go. I'm at the end of my notes. That's the end of Singing in the Rain for you. Yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Well, I, mean, I enjoyed that. I, it did make me want to go back and watch the film again, potentially. Well, I'm pleased. Or if at I've least listen to your the curiosity, then that's good. At least listen to the soundtrack. It's on Spotify, right? Yeah. Let's go, let's go and listen to it. Yeah, well, I'm quite intrigued by the tracks we're hearing today. I think they're pretty well produced. Yeah, it's not... Like, when you hear of a musical like Singing in the Rain, you sort of think, oh, it's going to be old and stodgy like Pirates of Penzance, like, you know, some of the things we don't really love. Maybe. Uh, I, I, don't know. I had a different take on that because, I, I <laughs> like, as, I, as we talked before, you know, being one of the first musicals I ever remember seeing on television, mm. it has always stuck in my head as being, um, uh, you know, your quintessential Broadway musical. And the style of it is very much in that vein. So when I, another hear that, generational when I hear that difference. music, yeah, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> uh, but that, you know, when I hear that sort of music, it just makes me think of that era. Yeah. What I find fascinating is that this came out of the UK. You would have thought maybe it's just mm. my perception of it being, you know, such a um, such a dyed in the wall Broadway sort of style show that I would have expected it to have been developed in the uh, well, it's USA about first. Hollywood and Americans. Yeah, so, so that's what I thought. You know, it would have been the American production of it first of all, but no, it was the Brits. Oh, it's not entirely unsurprising, you know, with Andrew Lloyd Webber and you know, putting there's a lot of musical theatre that comes out of the UK. Yeah. So I guess it's not super surprising. No, not at all. So there we go. Well, that was all Mike had to say about that. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I'm beautiful, ain't I? Yeah.
I'm talented. Ain't I? Yeah. And if you was a man, well, you could fall in love with me. Yeah. I don't understand it. What's wrong with me? Why doesn't he kiss me? He has the chance for a self-evident there's quite a lot wrong with you babe <laughs> and at least of all that voice yeah that's lena what's wrong with me uh one of the tracks from our musical of the week singing in the rain the 2012 london cast recording and i was just remarking to mel as that song was playing that in order to do something that badly or to sound that bad you actually have to be pretty good quite skilled yeah, yeah. it's not easy to especially when you're i guess used to singing something in the right key yeah to go off key. To go or, off key is awful. Yeah, it's yeah. really difficult. Anyway. You're backstage with Mel and Mike, and we're going to talk about some superstitions. Very superstitious. There are superstitions. Yeah. Well, you know, theatres offer so much to us as theatre goers, as thespians, as creative people, as directors, as producers, as those who like to write consumers. Pre, um, scripts and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And. A great place to try new things, a safe place, a sphere of awesomeness, I've heard it described as, and I wouldn't disagree with that. It's the physical space that gives us a chance to try many of life's uh, firsts as well. Theatres give those who partake countless opportunities and outlets. And I'm waxing lyrical here, but theatres help take small ideas and morph them into larger-than-life productions. So there is kind of a natural fit with that 
that it's also a fantastic breeding ground for all sorts of weird beliefs and superstitions and people who have routines that they do because they think it brings them luck, you know, they wear lucky socks or they they always get dressed a certain way into their costume or they do certain things around the theatre always the same way. I've got a couple of small things I do. Ooh, I wouldn't call they? them superstitions, they're just routines I do to get, my, get myself focused. Share, share. That's how I justify it. I don't know. We'll talk about that in a minute. But okay. I want to talk first of all about superstitions because, and I've only got a, a few here that I want to cover off. Because they're ones that keep cropping up that you hear people talk about and not always from a position of having knowledge. They just say it because it's what you say. Yeah, and they think, yeah. oh, I've heard about this, so I'm just going to mention it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one is uh, the Scottish play. And I'll say it out loud. It's Macbeth by William we're, Shakespeare. But we're, in an, in a, we're not in a theatre, so we're allowed to so say it So we're allowed to say that, yeah. Uh, the belief is, unless you're on a stage rehearsing or acting in uh, Shakespeare's Macbeth, you are under no circumstances whatsoever to ever say Macbeth while you're on a stage or in a theatre. Because doing so will lead you to ultimate disaster, complete failure. The theatre will literally collapse around your ears. Likely the orchestra pit will fill with water and then catch fire and the stage manager will lose all of their production notes. And they're here. Yeah. A little bit of background. Some historians believe that the Scottish play Curse came to be after a series of rumours evolved that the witch's spell within the text contained actual black magic. Other theatre historians believe that Shakespeare's plays were often produced on the cheap to help failing theatres pull out of financial ruin. And I believe there's some substantial, you know, that's substantial that there is something to that. That sounds more likely. Cheap budget cuts paired with onstage jewels and normal theatre stresses led to larger-than-life rumours of horrible acts occurring during the production, which seems pretty feasible to me. Getting run through with a sword or that sort of thing. Falling off the edge of the the stage. stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So in order to reverse the curse, like if somebody actually utters that name so in, the, supposedly you in can. the green room, the dressing room, or on their way to go on stage, if somebody says Macbeth, you're supposed to undo the curse. And that is, according to the official description that I read anyway. The official? The, well, I say official, it's about the only written version of how to do this that I've ever come across. Yeah. I have heard from both seasoned and unseasoned actors, various variants on this, but this is apparently the four things that you need to do. You turn around three times, right? Mm-hmm. Spit over your left shoulder with each one of those turns. So it's... And then turn. do a turn. Okay. All right. You swear between each spit as well. Shit. Shit. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, broadcaster laws. And then, after completing spins, and you recite a line from... Uh, a different Shakespearean play in order to kind of undo what Romeo, you've done. Romeo, Romeo, so, yeah. wherefore art thou, right? Yeah, or is this a rose I see before me? Or, sure. You know, oh, yes, look, I am your father. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think anyone's going to work. Magically, the curse is reversed, but there is a caveat to that that no promises of actual curses reversing are implied with that. Also note there's one of the more than a dozen actual curse reversal practices, which I won't go into today, but they are out there. Various things, including, um, I don't know, gee, walk through the door backwards and you uh, know, yeah. lots of different variants on that sort of stuff too. Yeah, I've heard you, the walking through and the door most backwards. of it, I think, seems to have been devised by older actors taking the piss when it comes to younger actors. Ah, uh, right. That's my take on it anyway. So Ooh, there you I've go. I've got to find a young actor. <laughs> that is a bit of background on the Scottish play. Whether you hold to any of that or not 
is up to you. I tend to think, like we said, that the probably the thing has come from uh, an association with Shakespearean plays being done like they were, they were very populist and done by lots of very cheap and poorly run theatre companies. Seems back in the day. much more feasible. Yeah, an so explanation I think to me. Uh, at the time that Macbeth was popular, that's probably when people were getting themselves injured unnecessarily. So there we go. That's one. I mentioned, well, I guess when we started today, breaking a leg. Yeah. Uh, the saying is, the belief is, saying good luck will ensure your doom when in performance. So instead we say break a leg uh, so as to nod to fortune and never a forgotten line. Yeah, it's supposed to bring you luck to say to not say good luck but to say break a leg. The saying started popping up in Western theatres around about the 1920s and I th- would have thought it went back further than that. But Surely it does. There are a couple of different um, theories about where it comes from as well. One uh-huh. is that legs, as we those of us in the business know, are the black curtains that hang at the side of a stage and mask off various parts of the theatre that behind the scenes that you don't want the audience to see. Yeah. And to break a leg means to go move past that point so that you are visible on stage. On stage, yeah. yeah. And if you were wishing somebody break a leg, it meant we hope that you get on the stage tonight because that means that you will get paid at the end of the performance Yeah, back in the day. Good luck I mean, getting again. paid. Yeah. yeah. Because lots of people in those days, I'm thinking this must be pre-1920s. They turned up and waited to they, perform, yeah, and, they? and if they didn't go on stage, they never got paid. Yeah. So... Understudies, that sort of thing. <laughs> Artists have always been struggling. There's another one that says that it goes back to Shakespearean English, meaning break or bend a leg or to take a knee, if you like. Meaning oh. that if you break a leg, it means you get the chance to bow before your audience. Oh. Again, I think it goes back to that idea that, you know, you've got to perform. So therefore, you've got your moment on stage. You yeah, I guess either the get idea paid is the get, same either way. Yeah, get yeah. the accolade. Another one is the theory that it is actually fooling the theatre sprites, you know, those unseen goblins and things that govern the fortune or otherwise of a, of a performing company or or an institution or, or a theatre. By saying break a leg, mischievous sprites would do the opposite, granting wonders and good things because they don't want you to get your way. Ah, ah very good. And this is another one too. The Lincoln conspiracy, you know about that. Oh, yes. Uh, after shooting President Abraham Lincoln, John Wilkes Booth leapt from his theatre box, or leapt from the theatre box, breaking his leg before running out of the theatre. Uh, Booth later wrote in his diary, between fleeing and dying, uh, that his performance would always be remembered because broken leg. Now, he did injure himself. That, he that literally broke his leg. Yeah. But surely if you're wishing someone to break a leg, you're not wishing for John Wilkes Booth's fate. So I think this is is just a wee bit confusing. Someone's probably made a a wild connection somewhere along the way. Yeah. Now, I don't know whether there is any way of undoing the curse if somebody says, good luck. Mm. And in fact, I don't even know if it is a curse. It's just a superstition. Don't do that. Yeah. I think once you've said good luck, it's all over. You go, oh my gosh, I wish I hadn't said that. Well, it's like when you go into the hospital and you say, oh, it's quiet in here. <laughs> it's the, I, I've, I've done that. I was wheeled into the hospital. I broke my toes a couple of years ago. And I said, oh, it's quiet in here. And the nurses all went, shush. Um, so I think it's a bit much <laughs> the same. for what you wish for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Second to last one, whistling. I've never heard this one, uh, that it's bad luck to whistle in a theatre. I've always heard it that it's bad luck if you whistle in a, in a dressing room. I've never heard anything yeah, about you've whistling. You've never heard that? Okay, no. I wonder if this is another one of those things that separates us generationally. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> all right, I'll tell you what I've heard is that if you whistle 
in a, especially in a dressing room, mm. you uh, then have to go through some routines. And this is another one where you have to leave the room and come back in, you know, wearing a funny hat or dancing or something, you know. And again, I think this is where older actors kind of Took make younger actors. It's like sending an apprentice out for a left-handed hammer. Yeah, a bit of a hazing, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> bit of hazing. It's been difficult to find printed history about this one. All the following that I'm going to give you is compiled from spoken law, really. Mm. The one that seems to keep coming back all the time is that fly crews in, uh, in theatres back in the day used to hire sailors who happened to be you know, between ships out of work. Sailors used to communicate on old wind-driven vessels through a series of high-pitched whistles with each other. So if someone's up a mast... I have heard this. You know, the only you can't yell out to them, so a whistle will be heard. Yeah. Somebody going, you know. This form of whistling was used on boats um, to express very quickly and without any mistakes uh, just how sails could be raised, lowered, their pitch changed or whatever. And as these men moved into theatrical spaces to work, you know, if you're way up in the top in a fly tower and somebody's down on the stage floor, the whistling continued. Being the only individuals privy to this form of communication with the sailors, it was uh, believed that sandbags, flies, scenery, other such things could be accidentally on purpose dropped on an actor's head with the simple act of a whistle, should they so desire. I have heard this, yeah, So it would be, you know, if you... It's dangerous. If you accidentally are whistling on the stage and hit the wrong note, then somebody up in the flight tower is going to, oh, I've got to drop that. (laughs) I mean, the guy up in the flight tower is probably a complete numpty if if he... drops the sandbag off cue. But. The thing that doesn't ring true for that for me, though, is that if you've got a production happening, the last thing you want is people whistling. It's like cell phones going off. Crikey. You wouldn't you, want that no one's going to be whistling around the stage no. in the middle of a show. So take that with a pinch mm. of salt. Well, that is interesting um, information, if it's true. And last but not least, and um, I think we've talked about this before, always leaving on the ghost light. Yeah. Tell us about it. I've never actually seen it in New Zealand. No. Well, the belief is that one should always leave a light on on stage in a theatre, even when it is unoccupied, to keep the space from being completely dark. Usually in modern theatres, this consists of an exposed bulb with no lampshade. Now, why, you may be asking yourself, well, ghost lights became theatre staples around the same time that England and America became more interested in communicating with the supernatural, with seances. They were Mm. quite the party thing. If you review history as electricity was more widely introduced and an interest in the spiritual other world was gaining some traction, Mm. many theatre superstitions seem to have their stories of origin dating back to around that time, funnily Uh, enough. Yeah, that makes sense. And this is not a definitive, this theatre left a ghost light starting at this point in history sort Mm. of thing. It just kind of vaguely started happening. Superstitions have oral origins most often, and it's really difficult to put a line in the sand and say it's happened from here. Leaving the ghost lights out for former thespians to take the stage in their next life form and reenact their roles with lighting and everything, it all just Uh. seems a kind of romantic way of justifying the fact that, in fact, from a far more practical point of view, you don't want to walk into a theatre that's completely dark because you could trip over anything. You could die. (laughs) Actually, you you need some kind of nightlight on so that people can see what they're doing. Technicians are often the first in and the last out, so the life... Light most often is a safety precaution in a dark theatre to prevent actual broken legs, actually. (laughs) Quite simple. Or running into legs. Um, Ghosts sound a lot more interesting, though. So, you know, maybe maybe it just serves to have a bit of romance in the theatre if you think, oh, no, we we do... A lot of theatres claim that they have a 
resident ghost? Oh, I, you hear the kids. So I just did Sha- uh, Shakespeare. I just did Sherlock with a bunch of kids, and they. It's hilarious to tell to hear them telling each other. Oh, there's a ghost that lives down down by the kissing corridor. Yeah, and they've all got these stories that we had when yeah. we were teenagers. Ah, yeah. oh, so fun. It is. Uh, it's really interesting how these things have become part of the oral history and, and part of the quaint, um, I guess. Extra life that surrounds what people do in theatre, and it's, it's remarkably consistent in the style of thing that, that people talk about. And it's not just in this country; it's in the UK and the US as well. So yeah, there I don't you go. know why we're so fascinated by the macabre, or the, no, the stuff we don't know, stuff we can't verify. You know, the 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 um, supernatural kind of feel to it. Um, why do we like Part of the so magic of, of what theatre is all about. It's yeah, all about yeah. imagination. Then anything can happen. All right, so there we go. That's all about superstition. All right, don't go away. We're not done yet. Showstopper. Uh, the whole thing, yes. Singing in the Rain, our musical of the week. And uh, that track is called um, You Stepped Out of a Dream. And we've got uh, more to come as we finish off the show today. We sure do. Mike, tell us about Owls Do Cry. 
Well, it's filled with fierce heart and visual splendour. Red Leap Theatre's energetic response to Owls Do Cry is a surprising and moving experience delving into the poetic world of Janet Frame and the Withers family. It's a rich, immersive theatre experience that guarantees to leave a lasting impression and it's not to be missed. Rather than creating a direct narrative staging of Owls Do Cry, uh, Red Leap have taken inspiration um, from Frame's rich imagery and poetry to uh, create a multidisciplinary dreamscape sounds convoluted but you know it means if you know red visually Leap. yeah red Leap are just such visual performers that's right yeah this extraordinary tale is transformed into an exciting devised performance through their signature physical and visual styles capturing and revealing her still pertinent insights into society and the frames writing has always been so wonderfully eloquent about that yeah very famous writer yeah. so you can book your tickets and fill your calendars here is our non-exhaustive list of what is coming up around the place let me start the meteor has that bloody woman directed by courtney mail and kyle chuan for bold theater it is opening on friday running to september the third and owls do cry funnily enough just mentioned that by red leap theater directed by amalia johnston opens on the 26th runs to the 28th of October. At Rivoli Theatre, Geezers, directed by our Mike Williams for Hamilton Playbox, on right now until September the 3rd. Book your tickets. Twas the Fight Before Christmas is by Devin Williamson, and that's being directed by Lorna Ashton for Playbox. That's on stage from the 15th to the 29th of October. And Saturday Night Fever, directed by also our Mike Williams, on stage in November. And tickets for that are on sale right now. And that's going to be a killer as well. Mm. I've seen some of the choreography that uh, Amelia's been working on so far and I'm really <laughs> quite blown away. It's great stuff. Ah, oh, good one. Clarence Street Theatre, Christian's Dairy, presented by Indian Ingus. It's their 25th anniversary final tour, uh, September the 8th to the 10th. At Navarra Lounge, it's open mic night tonight and every single Wednesday. Doors open at 6.30pm and bookings to perform are essential. Then tomorrow, Local Artists Live presents Dan and Dan. That's 9pm tomorrow night. And Prince, P-R-I-N-S, Prince, yep. Life is Better Now, the Life is Better Now tour on Friday, August the 26th. Orchid Theatre in Tawamutu, the Farndale Avenue Housing Estates Town Women's Guild Dramatic Society's production of that Scottish play, Macbeth, presented by Talos and coming up in September. It's going to be a lot of fun. At the Gaslight Theatre in Cambridge, Aladdin the Pantomime is being directed by Tracy Barlow, hitting the stage in November. Potaruru Theatre Players have the Mousetrap by Agatha Christie. Their opening is September 9th. Thames Music and Drama have the play Legacy, written and directed by Christina Walton. That opens September 17th. And Coromandel Players have Constellations, the Nick Payne play, directed by Heather Long, on stage now, running to Saturday. Orotoroa Musical Theatre have The Colour Purple coming up, directed by Ngahiriwa Rohina, and it's also featuring our good friend Alex Palamwadia, who you'll see on stage and lots of stuff in Hamilton. He's in that. Uh, so get down there and buy your tickets. It runs from uh, September the 30th until October the 15th. Have to see that. Let's go to Tauranga, 16th Avenue Theatre, up north by Pip Hall. Fantastic play. That opens on the 16th of September. Runs for two weeks. And The Mousetrap by Agatha Christie is playing at Detour Theatre from September the 8th. Tauranga Musical Theatre have We Will Rock You at Bay Court opening September 14th and The Last Five Years, directed by Philip Holmes, coming up in November. Auckland Theatre Company have Dawn Raids by Oscar Kitely. That's on stage right now and blowing up the Instagram until September the 3rd. The Maid by Emily Perkins is being directed by Colin McColl and goes to stage September the 20th until October the 8th. 
and North by Northwest, adapted by Carolyn Burns and directed by Simon Phillips, is October the 25th until November the 19th. Auckland Live brings us James Brodie, The Becoming Brodie Tour, 9th and 10th of September, and Come From Away is being uh, rescheduled. If you were hanging out for that, you've got to wait till August next year. Watch the space or get your early bird tickets right now if you can. I am absolutely hanging out for that. Uh, by way of upcoming auditions and opportunities, it was The Fight Before Christmas by Devin Williamson. Uh, that's their final offering of the year. They actually auditioned already and have a cast. Yeah, so true, they do too. It's done. You can't audition Great for that show. one. Morrinsville Theatre are holding workshop auditions for Mystery on the Orient Express, directed by Murray Feast. Two sessions coming up August 28th. Check out Morrinsville Theatre on Facebook if you want more info. The 16th Ave Theatre in Tauranga have auditions for this weekend for Aladdin, the 80s pantomime. Not to be confused with the version that Gaslight are doing. Yeah. Check out their Facebook page for more information. And to Aroha Little Theatre are auditioning for the play Joyful and Triumphant, directed by Ian Harrop. Auditions are August 28th, this Sunday, and you can find out more information on their Facebook page as well. And last but not least, Tokoroa Little Theatre are holding auditions for their end-of-year musical tomorrow and on Sunday afternoon. See their fa- Facebook page for details. Do we know what that show is? No, it's uh, kind of like a, a concert show. They do a lot of oh, that sort of stuff in Tokoroa yep. at the moment. Right. They, they go really well. Yeah, great. Great. Don't forget, if there is a show or audition opportunity you want us to spread the word about, just send us an email, backstagepodcastnz at gmail.com, or just give us a tap on the shoulder when you see us out and about. Which you will. And once again, we are about done for the week. We are. Thank you, Free FM, as always, for hosting us. And thanks to Creative Waikato for sponsoring us. We always appreciate that. Catch up on Backstage at uh, accessmedia.nz, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and all the others. Check out our Facebook page and also Instagram for backstage updates. Uh, It has been a jolly good time to be here with you again. Mike and I will definitely be back with another musical next week. It might be an American in Paris. Could be. Or something else. It's your turn. So you you (laughs) get to choose. We're going out today, though, with a song that says it all and is the titular song for the musical itself, Singing in the Rain from our Musical of the Week. I've been Mel once again, my good friend over here, he's been Mike, and you have been backstage on Hamilton's 89.0 Free FM. Stay classy, theatre nerds. See you.
face I walk down the lane With a happy refrain Just singing, singing in the rain Dancing in the rain I'm happy again I'm singing and dancing in the rain Episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.